it's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. For America's climate goals, investing in clean energy adds up. But what doesn't add up is an additionality requirement for clean hydrogen. Additionality would put an unnecessary and inequitable burden on domestic clean hydrogen producers and have serious consequences for America. America needs clean hydrogen, but an additionality requirement just doesn't add up. Get the facts at cleanhydrogentoday.org. Paid for by the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Welcome to Success Secrets Exposed with Sally A. Curtis, where we share stories of challenge, success, and inspiration, along with practical tips and strategies to move you forward to your success. And now, here's your host, Sally A. Curtis. Good morning, good evening, and good day to you all. I hope you're in and ready for a very, very insightful uh, episode today, all around planning and content. Um, so lots and lots of, to share with you today. So just to give you a little bit of background on myself, for those that don't uh, yet know me or have just only tuned into the show for the first time, I'm a marketing strategist for speakers, coaches, and consultants. And my sole purpose is to help you amplify your voice, your message, and your impact. Now, part of that process involves content. And in a lot of cases, it starts out with content creation. It's not actually always an easy task for everybody. If I use myself an example, love to talk, find writing quite difficult. So we're gonna be talking about uh, content creation and content repurposing over the next two weeks. So the next two episodes, we're gonna be talking about content, unpacking content, repurposing it, and how you're gonna give yourself an edge for 2021 as it relates to your content and your inner genius. Now, I have a very, very special guest for you today. His name's Kaylin Huntrist, and I met him through a connection that I made on LinkedIn. Now, uh, Kaylin is a real thought leader in this space. Now, the reason I say that is because he's the whole box and dice. He's an international speaker. He's a website designer. He's a copywriter. And he's a sales strategist. So if you want somebody in your corner that knows how to create results, Kalen is very much that person. Um, and his role is to help smart entrepreneurs make more sales with simple systems. And one of his catchphrases is, I help stars shine. So without any further ado, can I please ask you to all welcome Kalen Huntress to the show. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to have you um, on the show today and share so much wisdom that I've only witnessed little incremental bits of it, but I know there's so much uh, depth to you. So thank you so much. Can I ask you a little bit um, to tell us a little bit of your backstory? Because I think that sort of paves the way beautifully to, you know, the, the inner genius that you shine so readily um, now as well. So can you tell us a bit, a bit of your backstory, please? Sure. Yeah. Well, I started as a, as a writer. When I went to college, I put myself through school by selling my ideas in AP style. I did a lot of magazine publishing. So the production of content is very near and dear to my heart. Um, and, uh, and then when I graduated college and started a family, I saw that being a, a freelance writer wasn't a great way to earn a living at that time. This was back before blogging had really hit the scene. And, uh, and so I got into sales. 
and I learned about the art and the science of selling. And it was uh, it was very interesting as a craft to learn. Um, but selling is all one to one. You know, you you're trying to close that one person right in front of you. But marketing is selling at scale, mm. where instead of trying to close the deal right in front of you, you're trying to establish the path to a relationship. You're finding ways to solve problems for a group of people instead of this one person right in front of you. And so I got into marketing and I was I ran a marketing agency for a long time and uh, and found my niche in helping people who uh, speakers, authors and coaches, people who had big ideas but couldn't figure out the tech. And so I spent a lot of time helping people uh, convert their ideas into online courses and offers that they could sell online. And a couple of years ago, I started my own career as, a, as an author and a speaker, and I've been leveraging that knowledge of the back end of how to run a platform to my own business as well. And that journey has taken me around the world. I started as an American. I I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. And 10 years ago, I left the United States uh, and went to Costa Rica. And I left with my two kids and my pregnant wife. And, uh, and we had a baby in Costa Rica. So he's a citizen and we're all permanent residents. And, uh, and uh, I ran a web design agency down there for a while. But when you have three little kids you know, living in a place where the jungle wants to eat you, it's kind of stressful. And so we thought, what if this was completely different? And we lived somewhere with no natural predators. And three years ago, we moved to New Zealand. And that's where I am right now, is I'm on the North Island of New Zealand. Well done. Thank you. And as I expected, we get already getting lots of questions in for you today. So I'll just ask that one of the first ones, if I may, is how do you build relationships that will work for business? So that ties into your the scale, the one-to-one -one and the online system. So what's a quick, um, I suppose, a quick tip as it relates to that? I'd say the best thing you can do is be valuable. Mm. Provide good advice to the right kinds of people. And I'll give you an example. This morning, um, I, uh, I opened up Facebook on my phone and somebody said, does anybody know anything about SEO? I want my website to show up when people Google my name. And because I've been around the block with digital marketing and SEO, I happen to know a thing or two. And so I just provided a, a couple of quick ideas and resources. And this person was blown away. She said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Now I know what to do. Now I wasn't planning to go out and establish a relationship this way, but I was listening. And because I know the kinds of things that my target market is going to ask about, I'm prepared with good answers for when they're ready to progress on their own journey. Yeah, beautiful. And that ties into, as you said, listening and then the, the relevance and being able to tie it back to them. Beautiful. So mm -hmm. on that note, as it relates, because we share a similar audience, um, what do you find are the main problems that your marketplace struggle with? You know, the biggest challenge that I see with, uh, with professional speakers is that they have two audiences. There's the, the audience of people who sit and listen to them when they're giving a keynote, but then there's the meeting planners that actually book them. And so sometimes a speaker will have a big list of, you know, 15, 20,000 people because every time they go up on stage, they say, hey, download my free guide on how to do this. And so they have a whole lot of people on their list. But over this past year of quarantine, when, you know, the whole speaking industry has been disrupted, uh, when they've gone out to their list to say, hey, I'm looking for keynotes now, that big list of people is different than the small segment that actually books them. Yes, yes, very, very true. And how do they go about what problems do you see as it relates to their, the marketing side as well as the sales process side within their businesses? Mm, great question. Um, I see a lot of challenges in converting the ideas that a uh, that a speaker or uh, or an author has into a tangible solution for a problem that their market faces. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of speakers who have a great insight on mindset or on motivation, but there's not a whole lot of people who are googling how do I increase my mindset. 
the way they phrase their problems is different. They might phrase their problem as, you know, I'm tired when I wake up in the morning, or I don't know what I should do with my life. And so finding the way to convert the content that you want to share into the words that your audience is going to use when they're, when they're looking for solutions, I, I see that as a real challenge, you know, making that connection between the two. Yeah, great. And I think this is going to tie into uh, the rest of the story, which I'll let you completely unveil, is we're often asked is, well, if I'm going to do all this content, how do I create content that actually converts? Mm which is what you've just answered. So that's a common question is I'm putting all this stuff, and I'll use the word stuff, I'm putting all this stuff out, I'm posting, I'm doing quotes, I'm doing all this stuff, but it's not converting or I'm not getting a result or I'm not getting engagement. Based on what you've actually just said, that comes back to the not uh, not necessarily having that clear understanding and the intimate uh, relationship of understanding what your clients or prospective clients are actually going through. So can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yeah. So there's there's a couple different kinds of content. Uh, mm. We can share content that is um, uh, context for the ideas that we want to share. Uh, we can provide our unique and original contributions mm. to our field. But then there's this special type of content known as a call to action. Mm. And a call to action is when we ask somebody to do something. And so I see a lot of people who have newsletters and who have websites, they'll produce a lot of content, but they don't end it with a call to action. And if you don't provide clear instructions for what somebody can do next to go deeper with you, then people will consume your content and think, yeah, that was really great. And then they're going to move on to something else that's interesting on the internet. Mm -hmm. So it's a part of, as you said, it's a part of providing those very, very clear uh, instructions. Uh, invitations is what I often call it, mm-hmm. but it's not yeah. just an invitation. It's actually an invitation with very clear instructions as to what they can do next and to continually having have something to invite them to. Right. An upcoming event that you're hosting, uh, a workshop that you're you're going to be hosting in the near future, um, an evergreen online course. Or sometimes the best thing that you can promote is a lead magnet, mm. some sort of short, digestible uh, piece of your work that solves a practical problem. That way, if you're in front of your an audience of your target market or you're publishing an article that the right kinds of people would find useful, if you if you offer an advanced content upgrade, you know, a PDF download or or a five day audio course or whatever it is, and you offer it to the audience at the end of your content, uh, I, I like creating an evergreen call to action. So that, you know, one of the fields that I work in is sales and I do sales training. And so, um, you know, I have an evergreen call to action that if you want to get more, I I wish I had this memorized right now, it would be better to pull it out. Um, If you want to get more referrals that are, um, that are, no, I'm going to, I think it's about testimonials. I'll give you the one about testimonials. If you want to collect testimonials that, uh, from your, from your audience, then you can go to testimonials101.com and download it there. I have it somewhere in my system so I can copy and paste it. So forgive me for not having it memorized right now. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, I think it's very important to explain to and help people understand the way in which they can get that evergreen process. Cause I find uh, when we're talking with people, especially when they're in that growing, either in that growing stage as they're becoming and they're discovering their inner genius is the first one. And then they've got their, their, they're in their flow, but they then start adding strategy, but they add strategy elements and it becomes clunky because there's actually no fluidity to it. Mm. So this really um, wanting to uh, get you to talk around the content, uh, creating a calendar for your content, because I see that because you're strategic and systemized in thinking, you'll actually help people see more of the process. Um, So do you find that you um, see, like I do, a lot of people will, I'll just add a lead magnet or I'll just do this, but they haven't actually worked out the entire sequence of creating something that's, as you say, evergreen. And I know that's been my one of my biggest mistakes is, oh, I'll just do this, you know, the bright, shiny object thing. I'll just do this. Oh, that'll work. I'll just do that, but not actually thinking out the whole process. Yeah. 
Well, I think one of the dangers of being a content producer is combining thinking and doing. <laughs> yes. And if you wear your thinking cap at the same time that you wear your doing cap, then you're going to get confused. Because what you can do when you have your thinking cap on, that's like being at 30,000 feet and you can see everything below you. But when you have your doing cap on, that's like a plane on the runway. Mm. And when you're on the runway, there's a lot of things that you can do that you can't do up in the air. You can take on passengers and let them off safely. You can taxi to different precise locations at the airport. But when you're way up high in the sky, you can't do that. And there's a switching cost to go from 30,000 feet down onto the ground. Or, and when you're down on the runway and you wanna take off, it takes a whole lot of energy to transition from one mindset to the other. And so what I like to do, Sally, is when I have my thinking cap on, I do a lot of thinking related tasks and I plan out the strategy so that that way later, when I put on my doing cap and I'm ready to execute, then I just do the work. It's like you're the worker bee and you're getting everything done. But if you stop in that production process and say, is this really what I should be doing right now? Is it, what else could I do? What, what should I put in here? And you start thinking about strategy, then all of a sudden you're switching between 30,000 feet and the runway and you're wasting a lot of your time and energy. But if you have a system that says, oh, that's a strategic idea and I'm going to put it on my list. And the next time I put on my thinking cap, that's what I'm going to work on then you yeah. can get right back to production. And I think that that's really helpful is to segment your thinking time from your doing time. Yeah, beautiful. And I think we've just actually had a question that asks, how do you know what cap to have on at the right time? And I think you've just articulated that uh, beautifully because as, as you've expressed, you do waste so much time going up from the highs down to the lows and you just waste well time and energy. But I remember having done that and just feeling exhausted and then coming out out the other room with an entire mess and something that was again clunky and not functional. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's challenging to get through that production yeah. process. But if you can separate it, you know, there's a really good book by Cal Newport. It's called Deep Work. And this book changed me from being a multitasker. And I used to love multitasking. I do lots of stuff all at once. But Cal Newport has this theory about deep work versus shallow work. Mm. And he uses the example of a professor. A, a professor has open office hours. And during open office hours, you can interrupt the professor. You can barge right in and say, hey, I have a question for you. And they will open up their big brain to answer any question you have. But if you try and interrupt a professor outside of their office hours, they're gonna tell you to buzz off because they're doing deep work and they need to protect that deep time. And so what I like to do, Sally, is I like to segment my day. Mm. And I take a couple hours of deep work in the morning when I'm not available for calls. That's when I do my writing. That's when I do my thinking. But then around 11 o'clock, my energy starts to wane. And so I shift into shallow work. Mm. And from 11 to 1, I'll schedule calls and I'll answer emails and I'll be available for other people's priorities. And by having that specific time available for interruption and shallow work, I earn the right to preserve my mornings for deep work. Yeah, beautiful. We've just had a question about how do you um, catch things when you're actually in the air? So for me, it's post-it notes. And I was, as you mm. can see, been writing notes as we've been learning learning things and I've got another one another one pulled off here where I've already written something down. So what are some of the ways that you capture notes when you're in the air? Is well I read a, a really transformative book uh, by David Allen called Getting Things Done. And getting things done is a whole system. And the idea behind getting things done is that you have a central inbox where everything goes any sort of stuff, if it's an idea, if it's a task, if it's a bill to be paid, if it's mail to be processed, everything goes in the inbox. And processing that inbox is your work. You take something out of the inbox and you, you either do it, delegate it, defer it, or delete it. And he has this whole system behind it. But uh, what I do, Sally, is I have an app on my computer that's synced to my phone and it's a, it's a GTD app. So when I have an idea, I literally hit a hotkey on my computer and I can be in any program and I hit control space and this little dialogue box 
pops up. And I write down my idea, hit enter, and it's gone. Oh, and no. so when the idea comes in, I say, great, I've got you. I'm going to put you in the inbox and then get back to what I was thinking so that I don't lose momentum. Mm, beautiful. Oh, that's just, uh, just caught most of those. Uh, what is meant by GTE? Oh, GTD. I've got another book back here. It is Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity by David Allen. And there's this great app. Uh, it's not the one I use, but there's a GTD app called Remember the Milk. And I love this name because it illustrates why this is effective. Yeah. Uh, David Allen tells this story in his book, uh, Getting Things Done, about being in an office meeting at 10 in the morning and remembering that you have to pick up milk on the way home. So that whole meeting long, you're thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta remember the milk. You leave the meeting and you're saying, don't forget the milk. You get through the rest of your day and you're using your brain to hold on to this one idea, remember the milk. Your brain isn't able to do a whole lot of other things because it's holding this idea. And what David Allen says is that our brain isn't for holding ideas, it's for having them. And he says that if you create a system that can remind you at the right time, it's five o'clock, I get it from my office and my phone goes, remember the milk. Mm -hmm. Then you've preserved your mental power through the rest of the day. Yeah. yeah. And that, as you said, reserving your mental power is such, such key, um, particularly for somebody like me that finds content creation as it relates to the writing side of things, it, uh, sitting down and actually doing that side of things is very, very important. I see that a lot. Yeah. Mm. You see that a lot in the feed there as well. So let's have a um, switch gears now and let's just talk about the creating a calendar for your content and mm -hmm. share some of your inner genius around that that you do so well. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I see five different scales of content. There's your thesis, which would be like your book title. That's the big word that represents everything you do. And then beneath that thesis, you have themes. And there could be multiple themes, you know, multiple categories that you talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, and then below your themes, you have theories, 3,000 word articles that posit an idea and then defend that idea. Mm. But beneath the theories, there's thoughts. There's small little snippets or stories that uh, encapsulate an aspect of your idea, but they don't go too deep. And then there's threads. And the threads are not meant to hold a lot of weight. They're just meant to guide the right kind of people back to you. And so I look at these five scales of content, thesis, themes, theories, thoughts, and threads. And I, and I use these five scales of content to decide what I'm gonna do for the year. Every year I pick a thesis. You know, this is what my year is gonna be about. And this year for 2020, my thesis was marketing yourself. And I've been writing a book called Marketing Yourself. And I've got different themes on that topic that I write about. But if I was to write about other themes, Sally, if I was to, to write about donuts or, or yoga or scuba diving, I wouldn't, I would lose the resonance with my audience that I've been creating by writing the kind of content that somebody who's interested in marketing themselves would want to hear about. So I stick to my themes throughout the year. And if I have other ideas, great, I'll put them in my system and they'll go in my inbox and they'll get filed away. And then later, when I want to write a book about scuba diving while eating donuts, then I can do that. But for this year, I stick to my themes. Yeah. And for the longer form content, I have my theories. And I try and schedule 12 to 20 long form pieces of content per year. And those are going to be the articles that I really put some time into. For thoughts, I kind of send those out as they come up. I like to do a thought a week send out to my email list. And so for me, my weekly thought is an email newsletter that I send out to my list. And I try and share a thread every day. Yep. So every day on social media, I have one small post. And so the way that I divide it up is I've got, every year I've got one thesis, four themes, 12 theories, larger articles, uh, 52 thoughts, weekly newsletters, and then daily threads. 
tiny little threads that I can send out to people. And once I have this laid out, I, I use a content calendar workbook to schedule all of these in advance so that when I put on my doing hat and I say, okay, it's time for me to write, I brainstorm a list of what are gonna be my theories this year. And I write out the titles for all my long articles. And then when I want to do some writing, I have a selection that I can choose from. I can work on an article and after 20 minutes, if I hit writer's block, I can just switch to the next article in the queue and I can bounce back and forth between them. So that way when it's time to write, I'm not limited by whether or not this piece right in front of me is working because I've got a selection of different pieces that I can rotate through. Beautiful. A couple of questions have just come up in uh, answer, to answer the, to the question, is there a book on this? Yes, there is. Uh, Kaylin's been very uh, kind and has provided a download which will come across uh, on the ticker at some point shortly where you will actually be able to get the workbook that he's actually referring to uh, with the, the uh, content, the th sorry, with the thesis, the themes, the thoughts, etc., which I've started working on, so you will be able to find that. Um, and the one that's also going across... Um, at the moment is, uh, Kaylin does have a workshop on this coming up next week. Um, so there's a link so you can check that out as well. Sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was very relevant that people were asking the right question at the right time. <laughs> um, and I love what you just said then, um, having some of those ideas stored and the ability uh, when you, for somebody like me that when I do sit down and write, um, and I've often got those little ideas that I've, uh, that I've captured and I've started to, um, I've, you would understand pink sheets. Not everyone else will understand pink sheets. But for me, having the ability to be able to jump from one to the other as mm -hmm. inspiration comes around and then I can write on, uh, on that particular topic or I can write a little bit on there, that was... It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. For me, the, the easiest way to create content, um, mm -hmm. but have a variety and, and be in that ebb and flow of where I was going and not having to sit there and go, what, I have to write on this today and knowing damn well that it was not going to come because I was trying to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because that'll depress your creativity. If you're working on a piece and it's just not coming, you know, the, the muse doesn't react well to that. You know, come on, we're going to do this piece. That no muse is going to like that. But if you can say, okay, you just sit here and wait until I'm, you know, you're ready, then I'm going to go onto this article that is also half done. And it's yeah. so much easier to do it that way. Yeah. And I think that's, I think we get stuck into the, you know, the have tos, we should do, we must do. I must write this article today. And we actually don't give ourselves permission to say, hey, I've got six thoughts or ideas underway. Oh, I can add a little bit to that. Oh, I can add a little bit to that. So we mm -hmm. don't allow the play. And this, I think, is going to end up being my yeah. theme for the year is we don't give ourselves the permission to play in mm -hmm. all areas of what we do and how we live. And I think content creation has become very, or it did get very, you know, I will get that into gear. It does not work. I'm sure you. <laughs> yeah, you bring up a great point, Sally, because that that play, you know, that's the where the creative spark comes from. And I think we can overshadow that spark if we're trying to meet an arbitrary production goal. Yes. I'm going to get a thousand words in a day, or publish once a week, or whatever it is. We can mm -hmm. that that goal can overshadow the natural play that actually got us into content content production in the first place. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So just coming on, uh, I'll let you continue on with your uh, the, the themes and the content plan. How, what are your next steps up when you're going through that? Through the content plan, well, when I have these five scales of content, it, it helps me to go up and down depending on what my, um, uh, what, uh, on what uh, I feel like doing. You know, like sometimes I, I really want to be go in depth and sometimes it, I hit that wall. And so just doing shallow threads is a lot easier because, you know, a, a tweet's not supposed to be very long. 
you yeah. just present a, a short little thread and and throw out a bunch of ideas and it's kind of cathartic in yes. a way yeah. you know so um I, I really like that as a um as, as a method of going up and down through the content uh mm -hmm. but then planning how often to publish you know that's a whole separate question how many times do we want to show up every day every week every month and this is particular to every type of business and every type of audience you know some audiences uh they'll do want to hear from you every day you know groupon can email its list every day because there's a different deal happening every day but it you know other audiences would get a daily email and think i don't want to hear this and so a lot of dis the discovery of how often we're going to be sharing with our audience is told to us by our audience. Mm -hmm. You know, they let us know through likes, comments, and subscribes, or the lack of them, how often is too much. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that discovering that balance is a very personal process. You've got you've to have a, it's like an experiment. You've got to uh, try something for a few weeks and then analyze your results and see, was that enough? Was that not enough? Was that too much? And it's, it's a constant process that is never going to stay perfect forever because your audience is going to change and you're going to change. And so even if you find a good rhythm, six months later, that rhythm might not be applicable anymore. And so we're constantly, you know, uh, uh, changing how often we send our newsletters and what time of day we send our, our, our tweets out because we don't know what's going to work for the next couple of weeks or months or years. We're always guessing. Yes, thank you. And I think that's uh, comforting to know and also confronting to know. I remember working with small business owners and they go, oh, I've got my, and you would relate to this as a website designer, I've got my website done. And it's like, yep, great. That doesn't mean it's done forever. That just means it's finished at the moment. But as you evolve and as your clients evolve, it will need to change. And I think this is the case as you've just expressed with content. It's um, It changes our clients change, they evolve, we evolve, the message evolves. So that rhythm is on, uh, constantly changing and our quest in our playfulness is to hunt and to track down where it's changing now and to be yeah. in the mode. Yeah, yeah. So how do you determine that, Sally? For me, and I was just actually uh, writing that down, for me it was, um, it's very much, and I like the fact that you came back to that word of listening. So it is what is the audience um, saying and how much are they saying back to you? Mm -hmm. um, I find that with different audiences, depending on who I'm uh, talking to at the time, is sometimes it's a Sunday and sometimes they're a weekend audience and then other times th that audience goes quiet and another one pops up and they're during the day. So for me it's um, it revolves around what, what did they respond to and for me it's an immediacy. One of my key um, criteria is did somebody, if I just posted an event um, or I've got something coming up or a piece of content, if I get an instant response, then I know it's it's we're on to something. If something flatlines, totally miss the mark. So it's either a woohoo or a bleh. <laughs> and then I'll just go from there. Brilliant. So, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, do you I think the difference? Yeah, yeah. I think the more that we um we listen to our audience, the the clearer of a connection we can make with them. Um, I, I read this great book uh, a few years ago called Ask by Ryan Levesque. And he said, um, you know, you should use survey responses for your headlines. And I, it, the idea had never struck me before then. But he made a really compelling case that if you, if you ask your audience about their problems, the language they use to describe the, their problems that language is the best thing you can use in your subject lines for your emails and your headlines for your pages, because then your audience is going to look at it and think, oh, well, it's like you're talking to me. Yeah. That's how I think of my problem. And as experts, we think of solutions very differently than how an audience thinks of their problems. 
I find that car mechanics can overcome this really well. They don't, they don't put up a billboard and say, you know, is your carburetor's pressure low? They're like, no, do you have steam coming out of your car? Is it crunchy? Because that's how their audience talks to them. That's making this weird sound. But if they yeah. use technical language to try and describe their solutions, the audience would tune out. Mm. We need to talk to audiences with the language that they use to describe their problems. Yeah everyday language not our expertise solution solving language yeah which is where the survey with where the survey responses coming in their language using its titles is such a a perfect time but i wouldn't have thought of it had you not said it so there you go yeah. and this this conversation and that comment just also goes to indicate that customers content and creation is always an ongoing learning playful scenario we have to always mm -hmm. be evolving and going going down the the avenue from there as well yeah yeah i really see that our marketing is a combination of three different things there's our messaging there's our lead generation and there's our experiments yeah <laughs> yes yeah uh julie stoyan who used to be the uh the vice president of click funnels she said that most funnels don't work the first time that you launch them. It can take two, five, 10 times until you get it right. And when she said that, I felt so much better because I launch funnels that fail all the time. But hearing a pro like Julie Stoyan say, they don't often work all the time on the first try. It really made me feel better because that's what I see mm -hmm. on the ground is that funnels often don't work. You have to iterate, you have to keep figuring out what could make this better. It's a tinkering process and you're not gonna get it right on the first try. Yeah, absolutely. Just had a question come up. Uh, can you explain a little bit more? I've just missed what, what, what was that in relation to. So if you can just pop that back in the message, we'll get to that question. And I think um, just carrying on from the marketing and lead generation, I see a lot of people just hit marketing and they don't do any lead generation. So I'm always ranked that, that, that my audience will go, oh, no, here she goes again. Um, there's marketing and business development. It, it's actually a dance between the two, which is where the call to actions come in. So can I ask you because my audience is sick of me telling them the difference between marketing and business development from your perspective, from what you see and how you work. Well, from my perspective, business development is growth focused and marketing is the tinkering. So if you're looking at expanding your business, increasing your revenue, uh, launching a new product, entering a new market, that to me is, is business development. But marketing is the ongoing turning of the wheels, yeah. you know, keeping in touch with your current clients, collecting case studies from them that you can use for promotional collateral for future deals, but then going out and selling those deals, uh, interviewing a future market for uh, to determine what their uh, problem set is and figuring out how to meet that need that that to me is business development. Beautiful. Um, and we've just had a question that comes in more about tinkering and when you know uh, when you know when to tinker. So I think you've actually answered that. So the tinkering is the marketing is the ongoing discovery and etc. And the business development is the growth is more around the strategy and getting those sorts of things. So your marketing is your tinkering, your testing, uh, and then your business development would be looking at those numbers and then change at looking at the key results, the numbers, the magic in the numbers, and then working it out from there. So yeah, that's a great distinction. Yeah, yeah. And, and I see the, the what helps you make good business decisions is the strategy that's revealed from the tinkering. But that tinkering, I think it needs to happen at least once a quarter. You know, if you've got a sales funnel and you're getting leads and it's turning uh, into revenue, at least once a quarter, you should be identifying every conversion point and measuring its effectiveness. Because if you can identify one specific conversion point that's weak, and you double that conversion point, you double the results of the entire funnel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, um, especially with the clients that we, I sort of work with and I expect you do too as well, they get so into the delivery that they mm -hmm. actually get back to looking at that the, the, the production line or the, you know, the uh, conversion flow or their sales processes 
Um, and then it, when they come to people like us, it's sort of gone, it's starting to flatline and now we've got to do some drastic changes, whereas if you do those incremental small little steps each time, that's where the magic happens. And you, So you've always got magic happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and measuring those small steps. You know, if, if you just look at your numbers once a month, you're ahead of 90% of your competition. Because the most common thing that I hear, Sally, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that you do too, is, you know, when we start working with a new client, it's, I have no idea what's going on in my business. <laughs> I don't know what my numbers are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's the people who do measure those things and, and keep track of their numbers you know, when you know what your numbers are, then you know what uh, what numbers you need to hit. Uh, I, I like this idea of of uh, lag and lead measures. You know, your your lag measures are the ones that happen after the fact, but the lead measures are the ones that you can influence. And they affect the lag measures weeks or months down the road. And a lot of people focus on their lag measures. How can I get my website traffic up? How can I increase my sales? But if you focus on the lead measures instead, mm. how many articles do I publish every month? How many outbound phone calls do I make every week? Those are lead measures that you can control that will influence the lag measures down the road. As well as, um, so I'm going to ask you a question as it relates to lag measures and lead measures. Do you see call to the correct call to actions at, so the pen's going, got, got bossy coming out. Um, <laughs> Put that down. Like, you'd be going, oh my god, she's got the pen. <laughs> you see call to actions as um, lead measures. So, where do you categorise call to actions in that process? Mm. I see call to actions as the medium for one of the lead measures. How often do you give a call to action? Mm. If you know, if I ask you during a call, I've got this great program coming up next week. It's ninety-seven dollars. Do you want to join? then I've delivered the call to action one time. And yeah. that's something I can measure. If I write an article that has a call to action at the bottom and a hundred people read that article, then I've got the lead measure. But the call to action I see as the medium through which it happens. Beautiful. Can I also ask another question as it relates to call to actions? Because I see a lot of people struggle to A, do it, uh, B, they feel icky doing it, um, and therefore they're just doing content and they're not getting their conversions. So do you have uh, any tips as it relates to uh, call to actions and the ways to make it easy for people? Yeah, yeah, you know, I just wrote, I finished a chapter in my book this week about this very topic. And uh, I think that the reason why selling can feel sleazy is because we combine the call to action with the buying decision. And when we bring those two together, when we ask somebody to make a buying decision and we give them a call to action, then it can feel really icky. And that's what happens on a used car lot, right? You're here. I, this is my one chance to get you. Your car stinks. And this car, you're never going to find it at this price again. So you buy it now or you're missing out. I'm combining the buying decision with the call to action. But if I send you an invitation to brunch and there's an RSVP envelope in there, then you have time to make that decision and it's separate. Your mm -hmm. buying decision doesn't happen at the same time as the call to action. You get the envelope, that's the call to action. Oh, there's, some, there's a party I can attend. And you have some time to think about it, but you can make your buying decision later and it's not a big deal. So if you can separate the buying decision from the call to action, I think it makes it easier. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. That's, uh, and you, uh, you when you're going through that, I'm sort of processing that as it takes me a little, little few nanoseconds later, but you can actually, for me, I could feel the difference with that. I could feel more settled. I didn't feel uptight or rushed because right. it, it was a choice. I could feel the difference yeah. in the choice. Yeah, there's no pressure. That's why I really like sales pages that end with book a call because it, there's, there's no commitment other than time. And yeah, this might be a $3,000 program, but all I'm committing right now is 30 minutes. And I'm just going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting down my credit card. I'm not saying I'm definitely going to do it. I'm just saying we're going to talk more. And so my buying decision has been deferred, but I've accepted the call to action. Mm. And I've just, someone's just posted a question that's just come in now, just checking the time. How long does it take to see a difference? 
Now, I think that's coming back to the difference between the, 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 the two scenarios as it relates to a call to action. So for me, I felt the difference immediately would be my, my comment, but I'll uh, hand that uh, question back over to you, Kaylin. Uh, I think that it may, that the difference may depend on the currency involved. You know, if there's a financial currency involved, um, then deferring the investment of, of money can make it a lot easier. But if there's a time currency involved, if, I, if I'm asking for 20 minutes of your time and you don't really know, but then I ask for five, you know, it's still, I'm still asking for time. And so I, I, I'm not sure how to answer that, but I think that it has, that the type of currency would make a difference. That makes sense. So just knowing um, that we're getting close to the, the time and I know that you've got a dash off to go and deliver another training, can I ask you to please share a little bit more as it relates to A, how people can get in contact with you and yes, we do do got the ticket so people will be able to find you, but also about your uh, workshop that is coming up uh, next week that will be more of a deep dive into this topic around the content and the calendar. Sure. Yeah. So I do a lot of blogging on my personal website at kaylinhunters.com. And for every year in, or every month during 2020, I've been teaching a free masterclass. Uh, and it's, and every month has been on a different topic because when I started um, 2020, I said, what are the 12 big topics I want to teach on? And so I put on my thinking cap and I decided what all of those were. And then I created uh, an hour long presentation and a free Google Doc workbook and all of this material to support each one of these monthly masterclasses. And last month in November, I taught a masterclass on how to teach a content, how to create a content calendar in three hours. And so that's what we saw on the ticker earlier was at kaylinhunters.com slash masterclass slash calendar. Um, now, if you opt in to see that free masterclass, you'll also get my content calendar workbook, which is a, a Google Doc that goes through these five scales of content that we talked about earlier. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of additional tools in there that you can use for copy-paste copywriting to produce headlines and subject lines uh, really quickly. Uh, there's, a, there's a repurpose matrix that helps you post once and syndic syndicate across multiple platforms. It's a whole lot of useful tools in there. Uh, and now Next week, I'm going to be teaching uh, a three-hour live workshop to help people create their uh, 2021 calendar. And this three-hour workshop starts with a, a half hour of instruction, and then we get into Pomodoros. And if you don't know what a Pomodoro timer is, a Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. And the tomato timer was used by a, uh, an Italian productivity scientist. And he realized that if you set a timer for 25 minutes and then you worked diligently for 25 minutes and then you took a five minute break and then got back to work for another 25 minutes, alternating between those states of focus and relaxation could help you produce a lot of work. And so what we're gonna do during this three hour workshop next week is after the half hour of instruction, we're gonna go through four Pomodoros, and then have a half hour of show and tell so that we can share our content calendars with other participants and get feedback and advice. Yeah, beautiful. And I know uh, personally how uh, value those uh, little chunks of when you're working solidly um, is. We we'll do quite a lot of that. It's absolutely amazing. If you want to create content and have somebody supporting you, uh, supporting you and backing you and then a, a community to actually share it with, um, it's a great way to do it. Um, I do them regularly. Um, and for me, I get most of my content created in that area. But for the, what I also want to stress there, the showing and the telling and sharing, uh, hearing how other people have created content and the way they've created their content, those little extra nuggets, it really does help out a lot too. So thank you very mm. much with us. Um, so just recapping again, if I can also um, just get you to recap your uh, website again. And of course, we can find you on uh, LinkedIn as well. Um, Sure. Yeah. So um, that, there's my personal website, kaylinhunters.com, and then my digital marketing agency. Uh, if you go to stellarplatforms.com, S-T-L-L-A-R platforms.com slash calendar, that'll take you right to, uh, to the workshop for next week. Thank you very, very much. And um, for everyone, as I said, Kaylin's an absolute wealth of knowledge. I've been on to a couple of his uh, workshops. 
lots of notes. I've got lots of notes all over my little worksheet. Um, so it really does help to give you forward movement. It will absolutely help you capture your ideas, get more strategic and really get, get to a place where you can create your content, but also get to the place where that content converts as well. So just carrying on for our next week's show, we've got uh, Lauren Crest coming on board, um, who is a, a speaker buddy of ours as well, or of mine. Um, have I introduced you guys yet? Need to do that. Just yeah. to mention myself. Yeah. That. So she's a content creator herself, but she helps other people do it via video interviews. Um, and then her and I will talk about content creation and then content repurposing in a different light. So it was very important that everyone got to hear um, your um, thought leadership and your inner genius as it relates to content. And then we'll be continuing that conversation in a different light to give more people more opportunity to share their inner genius. So if I can say a big, big, big thank you for everything that you have shared today. Thank you very much. Um, and I do hope everyone jumps on board and gets onto that workshop for you as well. Thank you so much, Kaylin. Thanks, Sally. It was great talking with you today, and I really appreciate uh, meeting your audience. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. Do take care, and I wish and look forward to sharing more with you next week. Have a fantastic week. Take care. it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I trust you got some inspirational tips to move you forward. See you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern for more Success Secrets Exposed.